Daniel chapter 11, verse 1 through 19. And as for me, in the first year of Darius the Mede, I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled. For his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and he shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement, but she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north, and he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted. And he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first. And after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
All right, buyers. We are <laughs> in. I mean, I'm so glad you invited me for I know, these I know. two chapters. This I know. is so crystal clear what's going on. The here. easy ones. So <laughs> we have some very, very, very specific <clears throat> political prophecy in today's yeah. uh, today's passage. And, you know, if there's one thing that I know about the people of our daily rhythm, it's that political prophecy <laughs> is the is the stronghold genre. Who shall we tie to all of these uh, figures that are mentioned? Exactly. So I, you know, you had mentioned uh, a minute ago that Daniel 11, you know, I, I didn't really realize this, but it's the most, uh, I guess, distilled fulfillment of prophecy uh, in the Bible. And, you know, I'm looking on a, there's this article that I've pulled up on enduringword.com where this guy goes through the entire chapter and it's broken up into an outline and mm-hmm. he basically has this entire thing with bullet points of how history unfolded after this prophecy. Yeah. And I mean, this article is 25 pages long yeah. uh, of just very specific, undeniable fulfillment of these prophecies. Yeah. So, so much so that, you know, secular scholars uh, contend that this was snuck into the book of Daniel after everything happened. Like it was written retroactively and sort of cheated in yeah. as prophecy. So, you know, it's good if, uh, if no one's even denying the prophecy, but more denying the authenticity of it. So buyers, what, what are your thoughts? Like what on earth is going here? Who is he talking about? Yeah. You're a, you're a history buff. Oh gosh. I'm not. I don't know <laughs> to, about that. Let's hear I'm it. just a simple country engineer. Will. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, this this is, I, and we talked yesterday how chapter ten really is a setup for the juicy parts of chapter eleven here. Come on. As, and this is obviously Daniel is writing. Mm-hmm. Um, he is quoting back to us what he's heard from the man that appeared to him. This terrifying vision of a man that has appeared to him chapter 10. Mm-hmm. I've read somewhere in the first 35 verses of, of chapter 11 here, there's well over a hundred and some odd um, prophecy, predictive prophecies uh, mm. that actually came true as history unfolded. And so, um, and they're validated by just a, a review of actual events and actual people mm-hmm. um, that followed this time period. And so, um, you know the the reassessment of this chapter as being, um, you know, a book that had to have been written after all the events, perhaps you know, much closer to the time of Jesus. I think is just kind of a betrayal of of the prior assumption that um, predicting the future is just impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, with God in the mix, I, I think that's a pretty poor assumption. And so we, we hold to the fact and I, I think that we have very good reason to believe that this was written in the time of the exile and it is predicting actual events that happened. Absolutely. And for that reason, the fact the, the veracity of all, all of the stuff that's predicted here should give us um, uh, even more confidence in the, the power, mm-hmm. the, uh, the omniscience of God, the sovereignty of God, really that God is controlling Mm-hmm. As sure as God's controlled our, you know, meeting here today to record this podcast, God was in control of events in the sixth century BC as, really? as events unfolded, leading ultimately 
to the birth of Jesus in a manger and his death and resurrection on on behalf of those who put his trust in him. And so I, I think that's just one general idea that I take from this. In the particulars, I mean, you could trace, and clearly scholars have done this, but I, I can tell you without going into a lot of detail, verse 2 mentions the, there, there were, in fact, four kings that followed Darius the Mede, the fourth of which was King Xerxes hmm. of Persia, who was the Persian king that ended up attacking Greece, who was, you know, you know if our members have seen the movie 300. Come on. I mean, a classic, a true classic. It is, <laughs> you know, uh, a bit bloody for, you know, it's a bit my 14 year olds. <laughs> yeah. Days, but otherwise, yeah. If, and you know, don't get your history from movies, but it's an enjoyable movie. But King Xerxes of Persia was the king that was, um, mm-hmm. was portrayed as attacking Greece. Mm-hmm. Then, um, what follows after the Persians, obviously the Greeks, through, under the leadership of Alexander the Great, who yeah. is predicted in previous chapters of Daniel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's depicted as a leopard in earlier chapters, maybe chapter five or six, hmm. because of the swift way that he conquered this part of the world. Hmm. Um, Alexander didn't have an heir, so his uh, kingdom was divided amongst four generals. Which is um, very spe- specifically yeah, absolutely. spoken uh, of the, here. The two most powerful of the kingdoms that followed Alexander were the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, ultimately the Romans uh, conquered Greece, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, as, if we, as we've talked about, um, was a necessity yep. for Jesus to be born yep. uh, into uh, under Roman rule, yeah, um, certainly facilitated the spread of the gospel after his death and resurrection. So I, I just think it's it is amazing and astounding to read this and come away with just the impression that this is nothing but the hand of God on absolutely as these events unfold. I mean, it, it is crazy. Just to like we said, you could go really deep into the threads here. I do think that that Persia degrees to Rome thing is the. Uh, important high level thing to see. We see that in the statue earlier in Dan- the uh, Nebuchadnezzar's first vision, mm-hmm. right? Of the statue that Daniel initially interprets. The same kingdoms are illustrated mm-hmm. or represented by the various um, parts of the statue. Absolutely. And, you know, what? what is very mind bending to think about is when Mary conceives immaculately, what brings Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem to fulfill you know, a very crucial prophecy of a king born in the city of David. Yeah. It's a Roman, Roman census. census. Sure. So, you know, the that is obviously one small thing, but there, there's a lot of interesting scholarship on how Jesus's birth into the Roman Empire and the birth of the church, therefore, into the Roman Empire. You know, the Romans instituted a common language uh, that spanned a massive amount of the known worlds, they built roads, a brilliant new technology where you could get across most of the known world pretty easily. They had all sorts of trade, meaning that people and merchants and workers were moving across the world. Mm-hmm. And so as people begin following Jesus, um, as the news of the gospel after Jesus sins uh, begins to take root, it doesn't at all stay in Israel, but it actually travels very quickly because of this network that had been built under the Roman empire. And so, you know, we were saying, why, why should we care? You know, 
is, is this just a cool party trick of the Bible that there's some historical prediction? Mm-hmm. What can we actually take away? You know, and, and as we were saying beforehand, the first thing that is very striking is the sovereignty of God over empires of the earth, over rulers of the earth that, you know, I love there, there's this moment in scripture that says that the king's heart is like a river in the hand of God and he guides it wherever he wills. Mm-hmm. And that's a very important assertion of scripture that even the wicked, you know, God hating, God disregarding rulers of the earth are chess pieces on the board of redemptive history. And you know, then I think what that can also just lead us to this amazing place of worship is that it's not just like, okay, God is over the kings of the earth, but there's this insane domino like line that we see here in Daniel where God through seemingly unrelated means, like how could Alexander the Great be a part of the story of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. We do not think of those in the same sphere. But through all of this, God is actually setting up a moment in time and a moment in history, a very unique moment in history in which when salvation comes, when Emmanuel comes, it's more effective and more far reaching uh, than, you know, any other point in history. And and so it's it's very striking. Yeah. And I think the risk here is to fall into the trap of thinking that um, human agency doesn't matter much. If if, mm. if if everything is so orchestrated and the outcome is is so well known, mm-hmm. um, and that God's sovereignty is such that you know He is, we are as you say chess pieces. Yeah. Um, that our decisions in the moment don't matter. Mm-hmm. But I think intuitively we know that that's not the case. We we feel uh we feel and 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 exercise agency all mm-hmm. the time and i think you know i get comfortable with the idea that god knows all possible outcomes and then uses mm-hmm. the choices that humans make mm-hmm. to work things out according to his purposes and so yeah I, I i agree i i totally think this seeing this as predictive prophecy come true mm-hmm. should bring us to our knees in awe of a creator God that ultimately works all of this for our good. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we didn't get into the, all the, the, um, the line, uh, the Maccabean revolt <laughs> and yeah. the line of Hasmonean Kings that eventuated in yeah. the Herods that we know from the new Testament. There's just so much here. Yeah. so rich and it's in, uh, you know, yeah. you God know, numbers, the hairs on our head. How could he not yeah. uh, orchestrate these things for our good? Yeah, we, we just talk about the Maccabean revolt so much on our daily rhythm <laughs> that I figured it would be safe to leave out today. Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, it, it should bring us to a place of worship and and just to see how the the birth of Jesus of Nazareth and his ministry, um, far from being a, a coincidence of history, it, it's this well-orchestrated, yeah. mind-boggling matter. And... Jesus sins, you know, the end of Revelation, I've quoted this while going through Daniel, but the the end of Revelation is the church, the people of God in this city garden 
where there's a river with a tree on either side um, that bears fruit in all seasons and its fruit is the healing of the nations. Yeah. And so through war, through kings being killed, through kings not being able to have posterity and kids, God is orchestrating the healing of the nations. Yeah. And one final thought I had, I've been thinking a lot about testimony lately and um, my testimony, my son's testimony, just the the importance of testimony. I know the common um, Christian refrain, the way to give your testimony is to talk about your life before Jesus, tell how you met Jesus, and then tell about your life after Jesus. It's mm. personal transformation. Mm-hmm. But even that transformation, that's not why I'm a Christian. Mm. I'm a Christian because I believe this stuff is true. Amen. That's why I'm a Amen. Christian. That's why I follow Jesus, that I believe that what God's Word tells me is the truth. Mm. And when I read things like this, um, that point, you know, to events that unfold in minute detail, I I don't know how to come to any other conclusion without some a priori convictions that point me in another direction. I don't know how to come to any other conclusion, but that this is true. Amen. And Amen. Jesus was born in a manger under the Romans, and he lived and died and was resurrected for us. And that's that's good enough reason for me to place my um, trust in him. Amen. I mean, I was having a conversation with a, a friend uh, the other day. We were talking about the cost of following Jesus, essentially. And, you know, I was just saying it's it's a lot more than just ideological consent. Like yeah. It's more than just like, oh, I really like the idea of the cross. I'm a Christian. But it, it's being convinced you know like i i because i totally agree it is like, attractive don't get me wrong no I mean, doubt right. no it doubt. is attractive no doubt but if as paul said we're convinced if it's not true yep we're to be pitied yeah all people and for that reason it's important to be convinced yeah of the truth so great word we're going to continue on in the epic beautiful historical fever dream that is daniel 11 <laughs> tomorrow so for jason byers this is will carlisle And we will see you tomorrow on our Daily Rhythm. Thanks for listening to Our Daily Rhythm. I'm Jason Dees, one of the pastors of Christ's Covenant. And Our Daily Rhythm is a ministry of our church designed to help you more faithfully and effectively meditate on God's Word. If you ever have a question for us about one of our Bible readings or one of your own Bible readings, please don't hesitate to text us at 404-465-1737. Again, that's 404-465-1737. Or email me directly at jason at christcovenant.com. We'll meet you again tomorrow for Our Daily Rhythm.